Grand Touring Motorsports started as a social group of car enthusiasts, but we've expanded into all sorts of motorsports disciplines, and we want to share our stories with you. Years of racing, wrenching, and motorsports experience brings together a top-notch collection of knowledge and information through our podcast, Break Fix. What's going on, everybody? This is Brad, your host here, and I'm with Crew Chief Eric. We've got a couple other people on the line. Uh, Today's topic is about the origins of why we're called Break Fix. Before we get into why we're called Break Fix, we're going to explain... we have to understand what fellowship means. Uh, and Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines fellowship as a community of interest, activity, feeling, or experience, a company of equals or friends. We are proud to say that GTM as a whole epitomizes this sentiment. And over the years, we have definitely banded together in times of need. So what that really means is we've had a lot of things happen here at GTM, mostly good things, but some bad, cars breaking because we all go out on track and everything. But we all get together as a community and as a, a circle of friends to help in a nutshell why we're break fix. But we're going to get into more detail with that now. So Eric, take us off. Yeah. So with us tonight is also uh, our special guest, Region 4 Chief, Mountain Man Dan. And he has a lot to say about fellowship and the way this group bands together and whatever. So I'm actually going to turn the torch over to him and let him you know, share his sentiment and his feelings. And, and before Dan kicks in. He has a lot to say about a lot of things, <laughs> not just <laughs> fellowship. He, he's got he he's just got a lot to say, and so so now we'd like to hear what he has to say. Well, that being said, I am a plethora of useless knowledge. I've always been a firm believer, you know, talking is always a great thing. So that's how you get to know people and everything. And that's one of the great things about this club and the fellowship aspect is everybody gets together, they talk, and it's not just cars that we talk about. We talk about family things. We talk about our history, you know, you know, for myself being a veteran and the other guys in the club that are veterans and that tight knit feeling of that camaraderie that military people, when we transition to civilian life, it's hard to find. And as I've spoke with Eric about previously, that camaraderie and family feeling is a hard thing to find for me as a veteran. But this club has given me that sense of that again, that I used to have when I was in the military with the guys that I would go out on trips with and stuff. So that is a great thing. And unlike most clubs, we actually will go out of our way to help each other because some clubs, it's just like a status quo type thing. But our guys, if you're in need for something, whether it be just simple knowledge or you need a part or, you know, a toe, if you don't have it, you call someone in the club and they're quick to respond. And it's, that's one of the greatest things about this club. So let's take a trip down memory lane here. I'll, I'll read off some some things that have transpired over the years that maybe some of the guys that are sitting in listening to the podcast will remember. At the event where I met the Crutchfields, and I had a ma- major brake failure in turn five at Summit Point where I had a line rupture and I went straight off into the grass and you know things are catching fire, all sorts of nasty stuff is going on. And Mike, who I had just met not long before that, you know, came to my rescue, came to help out. And with our other good friend, Matthew, got the car basically to a point where we could put it somewhere and I could work on it later. And, you know, I was in a position then where I wasn't really towing the car yet. I had this funky dolly and we weren't getting it up on there. And it was an absolute disaster. And it was so nice of those guys to go out of their way to help me out. And, you know, especially Mike, we had one of our members in a Miata 
Rob, he went off backwards at turn 10 at uh, Watkins Glen and put the car, put his Miata in the wall. And I remember me and, and a bunch of other guys that were there and my wife, we all ran to Rob's rescue. And, and next thing you know, we're in the paddock with, you know, baseball bats and, and, and hammers and, and wrenches and stuff trying to pull the Miata back straight again. And we got him in a position where he could, you know, drive that car back home because he was in an, he was in also in the position where he didn't have a trailer either. How many times have I broken axles? <laughs> <laughs> and, or or i broken axles or somebody else has broken an axle on my car trying to do something stupid on a skid pad uh, i don't know who that would be very various things like that i mean i've yeah my car has been down several times at the track and eric is always the first one among others uh, to jump in and have it fixed my one of my favorite times was it wasn't even a track event it was an autocross and we we showed up to the autocross i i can't remember if you brought your car or not um, but we were there at the autocross. We were, we were helping out with Corvette Club. It was a Corvette Club autocross. And I think I signed up for the morning sessions. I get out there for, in my first heat, break an axle right off the line. Car doesn't even move. I move 10 feet and I break an axle. I warned you though, that start was uphill. And I said, man, this is going to be an axle breaker. And you just looked at me and were like, oh, I'll, I'll take it easy. It'll be fine. <laughs> well, uh, about two hours later, and we went to the store, got some lunch, got another axle, put it in the car, uh, and then went to start off again. And didn't we break another axle? I think we, we broke, broke a, this time it was a different axle. It was, it was the other side. And um, I happened to have a spare in the truck left over from the previous track event weekend. Yeah. And uh, I, what, we did three axle changes in, I don't know, the course of an hour. Yeah, and something I'll, never, like that. I'll never forget Pat Rooney from the Corvette club co comes up and they were, they were shocked. They were like, you guys are going at it again. And Pat Rooney turns to, you know, his Corvette club buddies. He goes, yeah, don't worry about those track guys, man. They're going to rebuild the engine between the next run. That, I mean, that was, that's probably my most memorable is, is as far as something that actually happened to me. Uh, and then there's always the Viking line, you know, things where I had a brake failure at VIR and I took the shortest line uh, between two points to get to Oak Tree. I just cut the rest of the track, cut what, four turns out just to go straight to Oak Tree. <laughs> yeah, that's, this is why, listeners, we have the Viking Off-Road Adventurer Award, which, which Dan has also been a recipient of. Would you, would you care to talk about that particular situation? If I must. <laughs> but before I get onto that subject, I will say, Brad may have broken some axles, but I think Judd holds the highest number of axles broken in the club. Wow. That just seems to be something. It's a cloud that hangs over his head so badly, and I feel bad for him because he's another guy without a trailer. So yeah. hopefully this season that's going to be rectified. Uh, I'll be seeing him tomorrow, and hopefully we'll resolve that issue for him. Speaking but, of Judd, and before you get into your story, I must say that Daniel is the, the epitome of fellowship, and I'm going to explain why. Because last year – in October, it's cold as hell outside. Judd drove five hours, six hours from his house in Northern Virginia, all the way to Watkins Glen, broke his axle on the first, it was the second day, it was Saturday, right? He broke his axle. Of a three-day event. Of a three-day event. He's ho-humming around trying to figure out how to get the car home. Daniel, who, who was up there with his daughter, I don't even think he had his car with him. Daniel, did you have your car with you? No, I didn't have my car because it had... Uh unfortunately died and the engine was no good at that time at that point yeah but you 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 were up there you had your truck yeah, with you hang out yeah you, and you said you know what judd i will go home get a trailer come back get your car and take it back home so you did what 17 hours or 15 hours in in one night 
Well, <laughs> it felt that way, but luckily, <laughs> instead of having to come back to Maryland to get one from New York, uh, luckily one of the guys in the club, Harry, said, hey, he's like, just use mine and take him home, and then you can bring my trailer back so I can uh, have right, him right, right. home. Yeah, right. So That's luckly right. we went ahead and uh, we did a retrieval because Judd didn't break down at track. He was actually on his way home about maybe 10 minutes away from track when the axle decided to die on him. And he didn't have a spare. And prior to that, we called around. None of the parts stores had any, had any in stock within a 45-minute radius. I called various different uh, junkyards that I could get a hold of that were open. No one had any that were available. And then to before Harry offered his trailer, we were actually calling around trying to find a rental trailer from U-Haul. They didn't have any within like a two-hour radius. And then I even went on to like Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace trying to find car dollies and trailers that we could buy for cheap just to get them home. And well, didn't, you, kind of, didn't you do something similar for Kerwin uh, at Pit Race where you met him like halfway or something like that? That I did after parts? he hit the wall, yes. Yeah. <laughs> no. But, and that was... But we're talking about trailer swapping here. And that, it's funny you bring that up because I, I see Mike, you know, listening in the wings. And, and here's a story I'm sure he'll never forget because I know it sat with him maybe a little sideways. But <laughs> we were at VIR and my student money shifted this TTRS that he had, you know, flames. And, and what a story that was, right? That was the day I learned that VIR has a volunteer fire department. Uh, it's the instructor's job to put out the fire in the vehicle. Uh, I will never forget that. But that being said... Brad had volunteered my trailer to take home some guy's BMW that had exploded. And then I don't remember how it all worked out. And then it was like, Mike, you ended up taking home the TT. And then there was all this big car shuffle and it, it, all sorts of craziness. Do you remember how that played out? I came back from being on track and another car was now on my trailer that I had to tow home. So we'll blame Chris and, for that. Oh, it gets better. <laughs> and you and all had left but put the car too far forward on my trailer. I forgot about that. So I'm driving home and my truck's trying to lose control. And so I actually had to pull over and use the ratchet straps to reposition the car on my trailer so that I could actually make it home. And then the part you guys probably didn't know about, I didn't want Chrissy driving home because she was tired as hell, but she's driving the bug home. And she had a little Dukes of Hazard moment going over a median because we were turning onto, back onto a dark road after filling up and you actually couldn't see the median and so she actually went through the grass and jumped off a curb behind me. So that was, so, a, that was an adventure. So what you're telling me, Mike, is no good deed goes unturned. Oh, yeah. That was, a, that was a bit of a punishment there. And I think that was the year I had the BMW. So somebody drove the car home because I had tags on it or whatever. But, you know, again, we're going out of our way to make sure that even people outside of our organization are safe and they get home okay and, and, and whatever. We're always looking out for the little guy, as, as Brad said at the beginning of the conversation. Wait, 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 wait. We got to let Daniel tell his story now. I, I, I take him, took us down this tangent. Oh, that's true. But, but we got to get, we got to get back to Daniel and, and wrecking at NJMP with my wheels on his car. See, he tell us more we, about that, Daniel. He thought we were going to forget. You're a good point there, Brad. <laughs> Let's go back to that. You're never going to let me live this up, are you, Brad? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we were uh, up at NJMP. The backstory of the car is I actually bought it from a used car lot in DC, picked it up for a thousand dollars, drug it to Jersey unloaded it, wound up having just street tires on it. And Brad wasn't at that event. So Eric was like, Hey, I got Brad's other wheels on the front of my trailer. Let's throw them on here. I'm like, okay, cool. So needs to say for the rest of that season, Nank. Brad's wheels and tires. Yes. Nankanks. <laughs> 
Brad's wheels and tires were on my car. Hands down, surprisingly, those tires did well, and they treated me great for the amount of time that I put them on track. Until they and, didn't. Well, or you, or, you, or, or you back up behind a wall with Mike and his BMW on the same tires. <laughs> <laughs> Even after putting me in the wall, they still lasted for, I think, two more events. But the event in question, it was when the hurricane was coming up the coast and it was torrential rains. The water was running across different parts of the track and I would start on the inside of a, a line and wind up on, on the outside of the track because I'd hydroplane to the outside of the track. But I was compensating for that on those where I would normally hold the middle or outside of the track before going into it. But as the water conditions, I was purposely shooting to the inside so I wouldn't go off track by the exit of that turn. My ego was getting the best of me, and I was chasing down a Chevy SS, which on a dry day, I would have never had a chance to even keep up with in a parking spot. I'm chasing him down, chasing him down, and one of our club members, Gordon, was the uh, coach for the guy I'm chasing down. We're coming up right before you go under the bridge, and the water had made its way out on track farther than it had previous laps. And I went from straight to sideways in a matter of seconds and slid into the tire wall and did a 180-degree spin and stopped underneath the bridge one of the first thoughts i had because i had brad's wheels on there that were not easily accessible wheels that are you know a couple month wait period to get first thought in my mind please tell me the wheels are okay (laughs) (laughs) so that's how that happened but you know that's not the only car that njmp has collected over the years i mean i remember vividly when shane with his green 911 you know, he had a tragic transmission failure and it, it whipped that car around and, and put him off backwards and basically crushed the rear end of it. And, you know, we had to figure out how to get him home and, and that kind of stuff. And, you know, he spent the, the better part of the rest of the season, you know, trying to get that car back in shape. And, you know, it's it's all been taken care of. But, you know, that was another instance where it's like, hey, you know, one of our guys is in trouble. Also reminds me of, you know, Sam at Lime Rock where he swiped left turn and <laughs> on tires with 10 pounds of air in them. And, you know, we spent the day trying to get him straightened out and, and stuff like that. But, you know, uh, I don't know. Those moments, they're scary, right? And, and I feel for the guys on our team and in our group. And you see something like that happen. And for me, I end up dropping everything and I, I'm, you know, full bore running across the paddock, you know, how, how can I get in there? And, and I'm usually not the only one. I got guys right behind me doing the same thing and, and they're scary, but you know, we, we band together and we pull out of it and, but I'll leave it there. But Dan, you know, that's not the first time we've had to help you with the Jetta. If I recall, you hit the back of a landscape truck and we had to rebuild one of your Jettas in a weekend well, well, somebody was asleep on the couch. <clears throat> I don't recollect the events within question. <laughs> <laughs> no, so speaking of the jet you're speaking of it, it was actually a Durango that I caught the back end of. Oh, and the story changes on, now, years later. No, it was a Durango originally, but uh, that was actually your old track car, TDI. Mm-hmm. I'd wound up uh, getting that off of you, and we converted it back to road use and became my daily driver. You see, people, I told you in the last episode that that TDI makes a comeback. <laughs> so, I was heading home on the GW Parkway, and the guys out doing the landscaping, one of them was on a zero turn and shot out into the passing lane, and multiple cars in front of me jamming their brakes on, and I did as well, and wound up tagging the rear end of the Durango, and it's sitting higher. It crumpled up the hood, buckled the uh, passenger fender back and everything. So I got out and didn't realize until later someone had actually tagged the back corner of the car as well. So I may have been pushed a little bit 
into the Durango. I actually drove that car home with it all mangled like that, chose to fix it myself instead of taking it to a shop because they determined it was going to be totaled through them. So I bought it back, rebuilt it, and put it back on the road. But Brad and Eric came up and graciously decided to help me. And against my wishes, Eric superseded uh, and outruled my decision. It's called a veto there, my friend, a veto. Yeah, well... As you know, I'm... for the sake of expediency, because <laughs> the other option was a Harlequin Jetta, and you weren't too—you weren't a big fan of that. But it would have just but, been two panels, different color. <laughs> but that being said, I just—I, you know, with Mike here with us, it reminded me of another story. Didn't you end up like taking doing something with Jasper? He blew up his his Subaru or something like that. Yeah, he. Um, well, he's blown up his Subaru like three times. What, at least one of those times I towed him back to Rockville from Summit Point and then came back to the track for the next day. Wasn't that after he had just got the motor fixed? It was like pop, boom, done? Uh, yeah, but I think that time it was because someone from the shop had stolen his new parts and put used parts on his new motor. Ooh, dirty. So dirty. he got a replacement motor for that for free. But that's, that's not the only time we've done engine swaps. I mean, you guys came to Kenny's rescue with that uh, god-awful fusion engine he tried to put in the Miata. How did that go down? Well, we learned that you need to do a Miata engine swap on a lift because the engine must come out the bottom. It, it, it gives birth. It doesn't upchuck. <laughs> it took us 12 hours to get the motor out the top of a Miata, I think, because we kept also just missing one wire and then one more wire. And then eventually it was just the ground wire was still holding the motor in. See, luckily, Eric wasn't involved because the Sawzall would have gotten it out of the top much quicker. So, oh, so you, you mean like when we took off the front of a, bump, of a Bronco? We just we couldn't figure out how to get the front end off, so we just cut it off. Dude, that was one of my – that was the best day of my life. Do you know how much enjoyment I get cutting a car apart with a Sawzall? Like, it's just a guilty pleasure. It's, I don't know. That was like unleashing a demon right there. But that was, that was another event too. Like, you know, Matt called us up and he goes, I need help. Right. And, and we all know, well, I guess the listeners don't know, but you know, Matt's not in the greatest of health, health these days and he does need a lot more help and, and things like that. But when he bought that Bronco, I mean, what he bought two of them, much like his two, two Land Rovers <laughs> making one good one out of those. But you know, there was like what, 10 or 12 of us over there trying to extract that engine and drivetrain, because that was going into a Fox body Mustang that had just suffered a, a catastrophic failure. So there's a lot of that paying it forward and, and they're good stories and they're a lot of fun. And sometimes, I mean, sign me up. If it's something new to work on, I'm, I'm interested in learning to turn wrenches on it. Frustration for that part is I think I was the only guy there that was familiar with domestic cars. So I turned into the connoisseur of knowing what should be taken out in what order. And the fact that the undercarriage that was as rusted as it was, I think I wound up wearing more rust out of there than the truck had on to begin with. <laughs> well, rule, rule number one is to make sure your Sawzall is charged. So you, you brought up the uh, behind the wall incident at Watkins Glen. <laughs> one of my favorites. I do, I do have to defend I got myself grip. there. I got grip. I got grip. <laughs> well, one, you almost didn't make it to that weekend. That's true. Because we had to fix your E36 before we hit the road. Uh, and then we got up to Watkins Glen, and uh, it was the first track event since they had repaved the track. Mm -hmm. So they were being very specific. If you are dropping fluids, you must get off the track, or you're going to get hit with a big fine, yada, yada, yada. So we're out on track, and we're going down the front stretch and turn into turn one, and it's wet. 
and a giant plume of smokes coming out the back of my car. And all I'm thinking about is, oh my God, what kind of bill am I going to get from Watkins Glen? And so there's car, there's traffic behind me and outside of turn one of Watkins Glen is a massive paved area. And you know, if you're watching a NASCAR race, they're all over it. They're way out there. I took the car all the way out there, but there's not a really safe spot to stop, except there's one spot where you can back behind the wall. So I hop over the curb, pull out wide, and then... Yeah, without saying anything to me, I'm like, what the hell are we doing? <laughs> I, I pop we're out. Going, we're going for a snuggle. I, was like... <laughs> I slam on the brakes, throw it in reverse, and back behind the wall. And Eric's just like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> Uh, fortunately, the, the, flag I think the corner worker said the same thing because he's looking at us and I'm looking at him and we're, everybody's confused except for you. <laughs> so eventually the, the session ends. They let us, we're safe. So they let us sit there the entire session. And right across from us, across the track was a fence. So a tow truck came through the fence, came over to us and they're like, so what's going on? Like, I w thought I was dropping fluid. So I wanted to get off the track and they actually said, okay, thank you for doing that. They looked into the car. You're like, oh, you're fine. Just drive back up this way. So we hit the car into the paddock. I look underneath and the muffler is coated in grease. And I'm trying to figure out where the hell this came from. And it was actually the, the seal on the output shaft of the differential was failing. And so every time the suspension compressed, it pulled the axle out just a little bit and it was spraying hot uh, differential grease right on the muffler. And so that was what those giant plums of smoke were for. And so the solution, the solution to that was to cut the muffler off, right? I think that's where we went. Nah, nah I just parked it. And now that might have contributed to the lack of grip in turn seven uh, in the wet on the <laughs> Nankangs as well. Just a little bit, yeah. Hey, you didn't hit the wall. You were, you were up close to the wall, but you, you were You were extremely confident, you know. <laughs> no, no worries there. But, uh, you know, and that goes along with it too, you know, and everything that we're talking about, there's this trust factor, right? That it's kind of unspoken. We've all grown together in this organization, in this club, and, and there's, there's some unsaid things. And it just, you just know that, when, for lack of a better way to put it, when the shit hits the fan, you've got people behind you, right? And, and I go to those events and I joke, you know, today's a good day to die, you know, the whole Klingon battle cry, but I know there's a team of people behind me. There's a team of people behind all of us. And, and it's happened to countless people. I mean, another example that comes to mind, hashtag I used to track, uh, Doug and his Mitsubishi when he when he went off in the rain and you know I know I know it rattled him and everything like that he doesn't like to admit it I'm going to admit it for him it's okay but you know there all you know as soon as he came in there were six or eight of us on top of that car making sure that a he was okay first and then that you know it didn't spoil his weekend despite the fact that it started to snow <laughs> and we got that car back in ship shape so he could get out there and you know enjoy himself and and, and do stuff like that. Well, I was just going to say, I, I just think as a club, maybe Watkins Glen is best not to go to. <laughs> we it had... Seems, seems to collect some cars. Gordo with uh, his massive coolant spill. There was me when my brake line ruptured in a braking zone on the bug. It's true. I forgot about that. Uh, that was that was a fun day. This is why I carry spare brake lines now, just in case. <laughs> uh, God, who else? Uh, quite the list of, of people who have had less than stellar ends to their weekend at Watkins Glen. It's true. Um, and that's not to detract anybody from going because believe me, Watkins Glen is an experience and a half. And we're going to talk about that in another episode. It's definitely worth going. Just respect it. That's, that's what I'm going to, that's what I'm saying. Come prepared. You're far enough away that you need to bring spare everything. The blue shrubbery is not forgiving. A hundred percent.
I mean, let's talk about cursed cars, right? I mean, could the Wades have any worse luck with that Mini Cooper, right? We've seen fire. We've seen flood. We've seen hornets. I mean, soon he's going to have to sacrifice a lamb or something to get the curse off of that car. But, I mean, I'll never forget when he came in at the time. We were competing in the time trial, and I think, Mike, you were there too. And he comes in, and we're like, Steve, the car's on fire. He's like, what do you mean? And that was the second time that car had been on fire because I was in it coaching John at Watkins Glen and there's, there's fire pouring out from underneath of it when the, when the power steering caught on fire. And that's a known defect of the car. It's not a fault of the track. But the second time when it chernobyl the engine, I mean, how many of us were there ready, prepared with fire extinguishers, making sure, A, he got the hell out of it because he didn't realize he was on, that flames were coming out of the, the wheel wells. But, you know, holy cow. Well, the, the flood was, uh, the overnight flood was impressive too. That was, that was a sad thing to watch as the car actually was floating at about a 45 degree angle because the ass end had just floated up in the water and it turned on all the lights on the car. It was, uh, it was a sad thing to watch. Well, we were talking about, you know, on track with fluid spills and things like that. Uh, Eric decided to go for a ride along with me up at uh, Summit and it was one or two events after when I put the car in the wall in Jersey. And I was back out on track and running them Nankangs. And uh, so we're coming around one of the turns and we start to go in. And, of course, we had the chatterbox on so Eric and I could talk. And I'm like, Eric, I was like, I got no steering. And he's like, what do you mean you got no steering? I'm like, I have no steering. Because, like, the, apparently the from the impact at uh, Jersey, I didn't realize it had shifted the power steering line up against the fan. And it was slowly cutting through the, uh, through the belt for the power steering. And I'm trying to go into the turn. The steering got extremely heavy to where I could barely turn the tire. And so we managed to get through that turn without going off track. And I slowed down and we limped our way off track. And that was another thing to comment on the fellowship. Get back in the paddocks and Matt was there visiting. And he's like, well, let me ask around the pack. So he starts asking around guys that he knew might have had parts. No one had any. And he was willing to, he even called guys that he knew around the area because when I'd called the parts stores locally, none of them had it in stock. And so he called up one of his friends that just happened to be a Volkswagen guy. He's like, let me check and I'll get back to you. And I might have one just laying around that's used that you can throw it on the car to get back on track. You know, but that's the thing, you know, calling people that aren't even there, that aren't even part of the club and using our resources, we do that to help each other out. And just to, to piggyback on something you guys will hear uh, later on in another episode about what car should you buy. I think a good procedure when picking a track car is to call the local parts stores near the track and find out if they have parts for any of these cars you're thinking about getting. If you're looking at getting a C6 Corvette, they may have a couple parts for that. If you're looking at tracking a Triumph, good luck. Bring the bring an entire spare car with you because they're not going to have that stuff. Yeah, have front wheel drive, we'll travel with axles. I mean, that's that's the rule. <laughs> that's why we all have pickup trucks and vans, so we can bring an entire spare car with us. Right, and to that effect, right, that's the fix side of the brake fix here that we've been talking about. And, you know, we have a thing inside of GTM called the tool treasury, and a lot of us, especially on this call, we have specialty tools, things that we've invested in that nobody else has and they're for specific jobs. I know Mike has a lot of BMW stuff, and Dan has a ton of things for the domestics, and I got all the and tools you can think of. But that being said, you know, they're open to borrow whenever you need it. Just reach out to the people that have them. We keep a catalog of that stuff to say, hey, you know, these guys have these parts. That way, don't waste your time. Don't waste your money. Oh, by the way, that other part, that other tool doesn't work. 
Um, you know, but if you need it, give me a buzz and, and we'll help each other out. But that also led us into our DIY days where we get together at the beginning of the year to work on various cars to make sure that everybody's ready for the season. You know, hey, I need to work on this. It inevitably ends in somebody getting an engine pulled, but <laughs> it's usually me. But, you know, those are great events and they're learning events too. And that's also part of something we talked about in the first episode is, is this education that we try to do and how we try to give back. And, and we're always mentoring the guys in the club, especially those that aren't wrench turners. And there are, we have a lot of professional wrench turners uh, in our group and it, it's, it's good to pass that along. And if I can just throw in one more story before we wrap this up here, speaking about some of those guys that are not wrench turners, we've had this one member, Andrew, who has a, had, at the time had a C6 Corvette. He was very green. This is probably, what, his third event or something like that, coming up to the track in New Jersey in JMP. He didn't have anything with him. He drove the car up there. He, he maybe brought a pair of spare shoes uh, or something in his, uh, you know, 50-pound dumbbells because he's a, a gym bro. He had brake failure. He, he went off in turn one because he put the, the pedal to the floor, had no brakes, and we, he got the car back in the paddock, and we're looking at the car, and he had – nothing. I mean, his pads were down to the backing plate. So we rallied uh, to help this guy who had no tools, no real experience, not a wrench turner himself. We got it, got his car towed to somebody else's house. Our, one of our crew chiefs, Harry, towed his car, did the brake job for him, brought the car back to him, I believe. I think uh, Andrew actually had Harry's spare car or something and drove it or whatever. But anyway, he got his car back. Fast forward to a couple more events a year forward. Now Andrew's doing his own brake jobs, is doing his own, own maintenance and stuff on his motorcycles and various other cars. And all of that is stuff that he learned, not just from club members uh, helping him and showing him, but also just, just he got the itch. He got the itch that he wanted to be able to do this stuff himself. And I think the club helped propel him into that mindset and that mode that particular story. And it brought to mind one story that we've been avoiding here, which I think all of us were involved in and that was summer bash four we had a we have a couple that was sharing a car and uh, one driver puts the car in the wall and crunches up the left side of the car and they're like oh my god now what do we do and this was well before john and aaron you know we're we're, we're towing tires around and spare parts and all this kind of thing and i know john's an overly prepared guy when it comes now to going to these track events but he's like you know this is his daily driver like what do i do with the mustang now and we had people going out of their way we had that car apart like the suspension completely drawn down in about an hour and then we had a couple of people go out of their way and this is a big shout out to matt and you guys remember this he drove what six or seven hours round trip to go pick up parts for the mustang and we got it rebuilt by the end of the night and john and aaron were back on track the next day i mean granted the rest of it was taken care of because you know john had track insurance and he had the the wherewithal and the foresight to do that which we'll go into in another in another episode Right. And Brad's written articles about this, you know, telling their story and how it turned out. But, you know, that was epic. And there were so many of us there because that, you know, Summer Bash is our big family reunion. And to see that happen and it's like, oh, my God, it, it's one of ours. And we had a couple scares like that before because, you know, Harry has earned the title Sir Spins a lot. And, you know, he went off at Shenandoah and luckily he, he just barely missed it. But the side of the car was caked in mud and you'll see the pictures on the website. But, you know, like I had mentioned earlier, there's those scares out there and, and, and you really start to feel for everybody. But when it happens, it, much to, you know, Dan's point, it's like military precision. We all go into action and everybody knows their role. All of a sudden it just happens. And, and I know Doug said that about the situation with his Mitsubishi. He's like, 
one minute I'm, I'm, I'm just getting out of the car. And next thing I know it's up in the air and the wheels are off and people are doing stuff. And he goes, I didn't even ask him to do anything. And it's just happening right in front of him. You know? When we are all together, you know, as a larger group, we come to each other's rescue. It's the premise of break fix. I mean, it's not the, the whole theme of what we talk about here. And obviously we don't want to portray racing as a big crash fest. I mean, things happen. They're mechanical. The race cars and even the track prepared cars, because there are very different full on race cars versus track prepared cars. They're under such extreme stresses that you would never encounter yep. the engineering failures that we encounter on the street. So I don't want to dissuade anybody from trying it, but there's life lessons to be learned here. The harder you push, like in any sport, if you were a runner, a marathon runner, or if you're a football player, there's always the risk of injury. There's always the risk of something going wrong. The harder you push and the more you reach for that trophy or reach for that goal. So, you know, that's, it's very sage advice at the end of the day. So I think in closing, uh, I think we've given enough stories to give you all an idea of what we mean by fellowship, obviously what we mean by break and fix. All of us have broken things at some time and we've all pitched in to fix things at another time. That's where we are. That's what we mean. And we're going to continue to do that and as long as the club's a thing. Exactly. I was going to say as a whole, we are basically a racing pit crew. <laughs> Each of us race, but we're pit crews for each other. Yeah. That's very true. That's actually, that's a really good analogy. We do operate like one. And I mean, there's many of us that communicate without ever saying a word. I mean, you and I look at it and just go, here we go. <laughs> Nick is, well, Eric, you and I have mastered doing a Mark IV engine swap in, what was it, like two and a half hours? That is correct. I can change a Mark IV axle in less than 20 minutes. I mean, that is a, that is a record right there. <laughs> Oh, I mean, along those Mark IV motors, uh, how quick can we do an E36 motor now? Because how many times have I done those? <laughs> well, the downside is Dan's going to put a GM in its place. So you're, you're only going to get the extraction part of that equation. Oh, it's already extracted. <laughs> oh, even better. <laughs> no, so I, I think that's it. I think we're ready to wrap up. And uh, we look forward to bringing you more content in future episodes. All right. On that note, peace. Later. What a great episode. We heard all about fellowship and supporting other people. And now it's our turn to thank all of our supporters. We wouldn't be able to do any of the things that we do at GTM without the support of our members, our fans, and our family. So here's our first set of shout outs. Steve Wade, Max and Michael Sonderby, Judd Gravel, Kerwin Webb, Mike and Chrissy Crutchfield, as well as Adrian Novak and Jessica Monerstelli. Without all of you, none of this would be possible. If you want to learn more about how you can support GTM, please be sure to visit our Patreon website, www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports to learn how you can continue to support our ongoing efforts. If you like what you heard and want to learn more about GTM, be sure to check us out at www.gtmotorsports.org. You can also find us on Instagram at Grand Touring Motorsports. Also, if you want to get involved or have suggestions for future shows, you can call or text us at 202-630-1770 or send us an email at crewchief at gtmotorsports.org. We'd love to hear from you. Hey listeners, Crew Chief Eric here. Do you like what you've seen, heard, and read from GTM? Great, so do we, and we have a lot of fun doing it. But please remember, we're fueled by volunteers and remain a no annual fee organization, but we still need help to keep the momentum going so that we can continue to record, write, edit, and broadcast all of your favorite content. So be sure to visit www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports or visit our website and click in the top right corner on the support and donate to learn how you can help.